Well, let's let's go to this next guy because I think uh, I mean they're all tied together. I feel like when you talk about Henry Davis, you talk about Salamito, you talk about Bubba Chandler, and of course Lonnie White. But let's go to Bubba Chandler because I think that was also one of the things. I mean, Salamito had a really successful season. I think there's a lot of um, there's a ceiling to Bubba Chandler, right? But we don't know quite what he is yet. So I mean, he had the top eight in your uh, prospect rankings. So like, tell us a little bit about Bubba Chandler, what you're seeing in him. Yeah. A lot of abstract projection here, just betting on kind of a freakish athlete who has only been focusing. Well, he still hasn't been focusing on one thing or another, um, you know, hitting and pitching. So yeah, uh, this is one of those where with Anthony, so uh, again, totally subjective in with this specific piece of it. Um, don't see someone like Anthony Solometto growing into, you know, big velocity or anything like that. Um, with Bubba Chandler, there's not really precedent for a guy like this. I mean, there there are some. You know, you see two-way players uh, in high school, especially, all the time. And then a lot of them get drafted, and almost always one thing or another emerges as the thing that they are better at uh, pretty quickly. And so in, in Bubba Chandler's case, the fact that he's, like, done a little bit of both at the pro level at all – it's kind of amazing. It's like Jared Walsh, obviously Otani. Um, Brendan McKay. McKay. Yeah, Brendan McKay, rest in peace, Brendan McKay's shoulder. Another one that like feel, felt safe, right? Like he was right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Brendan McKay, I guess Joe Savory did a little bit of both when his shoulder kind of barked at him too. Uh, those Rice guys in their shoulders. Did Jared Jones do any two-way? No, but he was, he was definitely a, a prospect. As He would have been a prospect as a, an infielder. If that was all he did, not nearly as good as he is on the mound, but like Michael Harris was, a, was a pitching prospect. Like some teams had Michael Harris on their board as a pitcher. Um, and Atlanta's taken a bunch of those types of guys. They drafted a guy named Seth Keller. Who's like a two way. They're, they're going to move to the mound. I'm pretty sure. I think Owen Murphy, who they took in the first round is also a two way high school guy. I mean, a lot, every two way, every high school baseball player plays two ways, but both of those guys were like prospects as, as hitters. Certainly Michael Harris was, was prospect is both. Um, but so, yeah, like in terms of, you know, how much of the, the guy's iceberg you see, you definitely see more of Anthony Solometto's iceberg at this stage. Uh, you can see the things that are going to make him successful are already part of what makes him successful with Bubba Chandler. This guy might just be scratching the surface. Uh, and so the fact that he has that like high end outcome, even though he's walking a bunch of guys right now or whatever it is, you know, I would, I pr prioritize that over a guy who I have evaluated as a fifth starter who is still a couple years away from the big leagues. You know, uh, maybe someone who's like a four or five starter who's there right now, like you could make an argument uh, over Bubba Chandler, but in this case, and Tess was adamant about this one too, that like, She's in on him as an athlete and, you know, physically and what they might do developmentally and how things might click when he starts just focusing on pitching, which is what we anticipate will eventually happen. Um, and, and so, like, yeah, like, By that's way, why... Pirates came out and said that they're going to do that this year. He's focusing okay. just on pitching. Um, it makes sense based on, you know, how he looked as a pro. But still, uh, like, it's so amazing the fact that he went out there and, and kind of did what he did at all. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I mean, it makes sense to me. Um, and then, yeah, like it, it's all about projection and, and upside in, in Bubba Chandler's case. And there's extreme variance there. There's extreme risk there. Ultimately he is a barely 20 year old pitcher. Um, but yeah, like we just think this guy is an opportunity, a rare opportunity to be, you know, a, a real impact arm as he begins to focus on, on one thing. Cool, cool. So, um, so I have, I have a couple questions for you just before, you know, I don't, I don't know. Does anybody have any individual person questions left? Tyler. Tell right, me why, on. tell me why I love Jared Triolo so much and why you do too. Cause he's top 10 for you. Yes. Oh man. Jared Triolo. Yeah. Triolo. It's another, a lot of the guys in the system sort of have this swing and approach where they, they really are pull oriented like open stance. Sometimes they're bucket striding. Uh, Triolo just plays all over the place. Very it's well. well. It's yes. And he's 
if it weren't for, you know, Key Bryan being so good, then this guy would also just, you know, project as like, hey, it's, you know, a plus plus defensive third baseman. Real um, quick before you get into that, what about Cabrian at shortstop and Trill at third? I'm I'm into that. All right. I think that would be That's a better number two guess that does that. You know, I'm um I'm into that very much. Oh yes. Oh yes. Uh certainly I think that alignment would be better than the O'Neill Cruz Cabrian left side, you know, just defensively. If you just you know let O'Neill go to right field and and let him focus, try to focus O'Neill, focus uh on hitting then uh, maybe, you know, you get more out of that immediately. And yeah, I think your Brian could probably play short. Um, yeah. But Triolo, yeah, like, again, so if we're looking at some of the long track record of hitting, this is another one of those guys who even when he was coming out of Arkansas was like a high 40 uh, on the list, you know, priority guy in that third through fifth round range for probably Kylie and I both at the time. Um, so if we're going back to some of the underlying metrics here, to compare to like, you know, Nick Gonzalez, um, Jared Triolo's end zone contact rate was 86%, not 68%. That was Nick Gonzalez's, uh, Triolo's is 86. Um, so, you know, it reinforces the visual assessment of his field to hit. He's always hit the combination of what I think is going to be, you know, great defensive versatility plus defense at the positions that he does play bat the ball skill. Even the power component here is like close to average, uh, some of what he's doing swing wise makes me wonder if like the power is always going to be there. He does seem a little bit vulnerable on the outer third uh, just because of the way, you know, he's opening up down the third baseline so consistently. Uh, but overall high probability impact utility player, like, you know, luxury multi-positional guy, maybe not quite like Ben Zobris, like not quite that level of production, but definitely that type of player, right. Where he's moving all over the place, uh, and producing offensively in like more of a skillsy way than a toolsy way. He's learned. He now said not quite Ben Zobris. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Zobris is his own thing. Like definitely everyone knows like, oh yeah, like super utility guy. Like to say Sean Figgins would be wrong because there's, you know, not as much speed and all Slow that me stuff. Some Sean Figgins though. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the Pirates, Pirates comp there, I mean, Josh Harrison kind of yeah. played that role for yeah. the Pirates for a long time. That's a good one. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, all right. Um, I actually have one question too, because I feel like typically on your all's list and like, as opposed to other publications, you know, new international signings, like just fresh um, international signings typically don't get ranked super high. Um, you all do have uh, Jordani De Los Santos, you know, you know, ranked, ranked, ranked up there, uh, 12th on the team. Um, so I guess, what did you really like about De Los Santos in this first, you know, season of pro ball? Yeah. So, uh, it does take a lot to have, you know, any kind of confidence in ranking like a DSL guy who you didn't already know about. There are nice ways to do it. Um, Obviously, instructional league ball taking place in Florida and Arizona. A lot of those guys from the DSL will come up for that. Some of them even come up for extended spring training before they go back to the DR for the DSL. So you get an in-person look at them then. Um, I saw the Pirates a little bit in extended last April. and I think De Los Santos was there. I have to go back through my video log, but I'm pretty sure he was there. Um, De Los Santos was on the list two years ago. Also pretty strong. Not quite as, as big a grade at that time, uh, but still relative to like where a bunch of the other uh, fresh international guys uh, were ranked was, was pretty, pretty high. Um, you know, prototypical baseball frame plus or better bat speed. I think it's probably plus plus bat speed, non-zero chance to stay at short, but probably not. You know, it's that type of guy who has the chance to be everything where the frame is what it is and the bat speed is what it is. And it gives him the chance to stay at short, probably play third base, uh, and hit for a ton of power. Um, even guys who have swing and miss question marks, which I think everybody, even guys who are performing in the lower levels of the minors are going to have to some degree just because they haven't faced very good stuff yet. Um, even, even if they have those issues, like Fernando Tatis had those issues, you know, like got, you just give yourself a chance to acquire an impact player or to, you know, have an impact player in your system by betting on these toolsy projectable framed guys. Um, 
some of this was a data-driven decision. Like, again, um, DSL, TrackMan data, is noisy because the quality of the pitching these guys are facing is not good. Uh, in some ways, what he was able to do from a measurable power standpoint, and I'm talking about like his exit velocities uh, and like the top 10% of his exit velocities and like his barrel rate, the fact that they are as high as they are is ridiculous considering he's not like turning around low 90s pitching. Like, you know, he's probably facing guys who most of the time throw like 87. And so the fact that he's turning the baseball around with like that kind of verve is kind of nuts. Um, when you watch this guy swing, uh, and you know, like sometimes these kids have TikToks where they're, they're putting highlights of themselves on Instagram and you can get a look at it. And because they're the same age as the high school players who you're seeing all year round to prepare for the draft, you can make pretty decent apples to apples com comparisons with some of these guys, like athletically swing wise, body wise. And you know, a guy like Tamar is going in the top five, you know, a guy, you know, coming out of high school, like Brady house is going right around 10 and Benny Montgomery right around 10. And you can see your Donnie De Los Santos swing a baseball bat. And it looks like those guys, <laughs> it looks in some of those cases, like certainly in Benny Montgomery's case, it looks better than those guys. So I think, you know, there have been dudes in this system the last couple of years, sometimes, you know, Michael Escato, who did it before they got him, uh, Rodolfo Nolasco, who they crush the DSL and then they come up and, you know, right away you see there are issues that weren't exposed in the DSL that have been by even just, you know, full season baseball. Uh, and so that's possible here. And so, you know, don't let your guard down everyone, but in terms of like exciting teenage bat speed, projectable body, like, yeah, Holy cow. Your Donald Dale Santos is absolutely in that group of teenage hitters on planet earth who you, you feel like probably going to go in the top 15 if you drop them in the draft tomorrow. And um, yeah, like I think he's very exciting and just the potential means that I want to be on him more than some of the guys whose, you know, ceilings are much, much lower. Cool. I like it. I yeah. love hearing that. <laughs> Um, do we want to get to chat questions? Yeah. I was going to bring this up here too, because we haven't touched on him. He's on the list. He's your number six prospect. Um, I know he's, he's attached to the Marte trade, right? That's like, he's like the saving grace of this one deal. So there's a lot of for Pirates fans of like, he has to become something, um, not the best year last season, but still very, very young. Um, what are your thoughts? You don't have to be too too deep in this, but what are your thoughts on Pagero? Still like uh, Leover Pagero. His approach has always been kind of a concern. He's always had the bat to ball ability to support it, the, his profile anyway, especially if he stays in the middle infield. Um, he's kind of had the yips. So I don't know if you guys watched a lot of him playing um, in the Dominican Winter League. He played a lot down there uh, for Las Estrellas. No, he's Gigantes. They'll say bow. Um, yeah, he's gigantes. He and his brother both, but, um, but yeah, uh, you know, he kind of has the yips. So watch for that. I know he had a throwing error the other day. Again, if I put on the tape of him throwing from short, um, in the Dominican over the winter, it would probably concern you. It was enough that I moved off. You know, he was in the 50 future value tier last year and now him and Brian Rocchio in Cleveland, both over the winter kind of developed the yips. Um, so there are throwing issues there now. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I still like his bat to ball skills a ton. I think Arizona, when they made that deal and no one, you know, whoever ends up with, with Marte just always ends up on the better end of these trades because because <laughs> he's good. I, I like both the guys that they traded for him. Fine. Uh, Brennan Malone, who they, you know, obviously the D backs took in the comp round and, and Piguero both. Um, and Malone, yeah, has a bunch of other issues, but, um, but Piguero, I still like him. He's still very, very young. There is stuff happening here now that does feel scary, but he's young enough that you let things air out over time. Um, I think this will be his second option year, right? He was on the 40 man last year and was optioned. So it's a big year for him. Cause you want to, you don't want no roster flexibility. Uh, you want him to be able to establish himself on the big league roster, I think within the next 12 to 18 months. So uh, you're not just like running dry of, of his options. Um, so that's going to be big for him to settle at, at triple a. I think the other part is we're, 
people are kind of waiting on him to be the guy to move Cruz off a shortstop. And it sounds like you're maybe not as high as him staying there, possibly. Not if not if he keeps, you know, one hopping throws to first, like on routine plays. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that like I was shocked to see it really unfold in the DR over the winter the way it was, and it never really got better. Um and you know, I, I didn't see his throwing error the other day, but I did see it in the box score. And and I do think that's a thing to to fixate on. Um, you know, as you're watching him play this spring. So just move Hayes there, and we're all good. We're all on the same page. It's tough because do you would you rather have an 83rd base defender or like a maybe like you don't really know how good he's gonna be at short? I, I don't know if he I don't think he'd be plus. That's that's hard. But if let's just if we took like a somewhat pragmatic view of it and said like he's an average defensive shortstop and Triolo's plus at third, would you rather have that combo or like elite third base defense and whatever you know? Bay well, Bay doesn't really play there anymore, right? So like, yeah, I don't know. There's no it's short. A, it's not. a hard thing. That's the thing. Like, it's so hard. unless you talk about like Bay, <laughs> not Nick Gonzalez. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Pirates course, did this thing where they acquired Johnson. the Pirates acquired every single like up the middle player, but none of them can actually play shortstop. Yeah, so hard. It's why yeah. like Marcano, another one. Marcano can probably play there. Uh, I'm dicey on that one too. Hit, but he can't hit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was I was never I was never fully tricked by that one. That was a, a good stay away from me. Um, mm. That's he three out of four on this podcast. So I remember that. You that always page. had him way, way lower than everybody else. Uh, yep. Yeah. That's one where, you know, I loved watching him come through with San Diego on the complex was he was magical to watch. He was never striking out. Um, but yeah, he was never a very good defensive player. And he's just so slight of build that, yeah, even though he was the age he was and like barely striking out, it was a round down guy for me just because there aren't many big leaguers who are like built like that. Uh, Connor asks, I know they're not technically prospects anymore, but can you please, uh, tell me you like Cruz and Castro because you made too much sense about Nick Gonzalez. Yeah. So, I mean, O'Neal, O'Neal, you just, I don't know what's going to happen, but I was super duper high on him as a prospect, um, at various points. There was actually a window where I, I came off a little bit, probably closer to like 60 or 70 overall, but at some point, you know, when he was 21 and not long after, it was even before the trade where he had grown like two or three inches in the span of like a year on the Dodgers backfields. And yeah, he was, you just were like, holy crap, what's this guy going to be? He's still playing shortstop and he's six, eight in his spikes. And, um, but then there's other stuff like, you know, the year he was in the fall league, there were times when he would like forget his Jersey, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> There were just in when you were when I was watching over the course of six weeks in the fall league, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He's super duper talented, but he's not the. It's not like Mookie Betts or you know these you know guys where, uh, you know JD Martinez, where they're super duper self aware of like everything that they're doing. O'Neill's kind of out there floating, and uh, you know sometimes seems aloof. And that's tough, you know, when that you're trying to make that guy play the most important defensive position on the field, maybe. And, uh, you know, to have a guy like that there, he's got a, I don't know if he's going to grow up. Like he's still 24. Our brains aren't fully formed on average until we're 25. Like, I don't know, but, um, I hope so. Certainly he's, he's so unbelievably gifted that I think he's going to be an impact player, no matter what happens to him on defense, his approach is terrible. And has always been an issue. But again, like there just aren't dudes who look like this, who like have this much power with zero effort at all. Um, guys, this long tend to break late too. Uh, and, and so, yeah, like you give this guy every opportunity. And, and I really think at some point, yeah, he's going to have some seasons where he's a monster, where he's like a seven plus war guy with 40 homers and, Maybe he runs well enough to play center field or he's got like a crazy, you know, elite defensive uh, first base profile because like it doesn't matter where Leover Piguero throws it. A guy this big is going to get it, you know, like so, um, yeah, like I wouldn't worry about it. It's going to take time. 
He's he's not a polished baseball player. Uh, but yeah, like I wouldn't sweat that one. Just let it air out and see what happens. Um, and feel good about it because no one else gets to have a guy like that. You know, John Morant might get hurt because of the way he plays, but I don't worry about that watching him. I'm just happy that we have a guy like that. I'm just happy we finally have a guy like that. Uh, and I think O'Neill Cruz is sort of in, in that bucket. Rodolfo Castro, he's another one where like I hemmed and hawed. The heuristics of the profile are really good. It's switch hitting, you know, multi-positional infielder with that kind of power. I do think he's going to play some sort of role. Do I think he's like an everyday infielder? Probably not. But a switch hitter with that kind of power who, you know, in the right situation of the, can impact the game, you got to run into, you know, a you know, bases clearing double. You need a home run later, whatever. Like get Kevin Newman out of there. Not that he's in there anymore, but like that type of guy. Get Adam Frazier out of there. Put this hey, guy. In we life. don't we don't trash Adam Frazier around <laughs> these parts. Frazier's great, but you know, if if you're down three with two guys on in the eighth, who would you rather have taken a cut? Rodolfo Castro or Adam Frazier? Like Adam Frazier is more likely to move the line, I guess. Is is the phone out of his pocket? <laughs> does he does he keep the phone in his pocket? <laughs> I miss not that anymore. One. I don't know. Not not anymore. Third with it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> third base thing. Get to home. <laughs> yeah, I'm not aware of what you're referencing, but um, but yeah, it like was, his oh. first game after being promoted last year, he slid into third base and his iPhone fell out of his back pocket. It was he, got that suspended. Too. he got suspended a game for it. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> my dude. Yeah, you're definitely gonna get reamed out for that. Yeah. Man, what was someone tell me? I forget who the, the player was, and I would probably censor their name anyway. But yeah, there was a point where like um, someone was telling me about a prospect who was doing stuff like that, that, like had their phone in the dugout, was like, you know, bringing food into the dugout from like the clubhouse, like eating a full meal, like sitting in the dugout. And someone had to be like, son, like you're a professional baseball player now. Like you need to cut this shit out. Um, and so, yeah, the phones, you know, Sometimes I could see it's reflexive. You just kind of throw the thing in your pocket. I'd rather throw it in my pocket than lose it, which is, you know, a problem I have. Um, and so, you know, whatever it happens, he was a 22 year old kid, but, um, but yeah, like switch hitters with this much power who can play the infield, pretty rare thing. So I think he's a, he's a nice bit player to have around. I've always kind of, maybe, I don't know if you agree with this compared to Odor. Yeah. That's an interesting one. That, that type of player. Yeah, just it's just pop, but he's he's not going to be a guy you really want every day. He's still, you know, he's the the line he had in in like two hundred and whatever it was played appearances last year is probably about what you can expect. I bet he had, you know, uh, you know, probably slugged like four forty or something like that. He had like, like a seventy seven WRC plus, so it wasn't great. But oh, really? He, all right, it wasn't I'm good. surprised by that. No, Castro. Castro was above average. He was like 104. Yeah, I don't feel like he was above average. Maybe yeah. I'm looking at his. Uh, uh, doesn't matter what you feel. He was one o one o three. Okay, well then, yeah. his, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Was it like 277 expected, or like 290 or something like that? Crazy. Oh, maybe it was worse than. Yeah. Okay, I have his player page up now. So yeah, power derived. Yeah, you're on it. Like maybe he will regress based on his ex his expected woba, but uh, but yeah, still. Like this guy as as a piece coming off you off your bench, complimentary guy. I had part of it right. Like, that'll work. You were it's so you were hard. Quite like. a bit off there, yeah. <laughs> I'm usually it. right. Leave me alone, Jim. No, you're good. How Some about this? Teams, so go ahead. There's a there's a certain segment of Pirates Twitter who, for some reason, has a lot of positive vibes around Travis Swaggerty. I've been arguing with them a lot lately. I am I one of those otherwise. fans with so, positive vibes. So um, is there any reason why the, the, the swaggy T crowd of Pirates Twitter uh, should be positive? Yeah, I think um, if the thing that regressed in 2022 was his defense, like the defensive part of it was, was it seemed like it was in place and was just going to be a foundation of his skill set that you didn't have to worry about. Uh, so even if some of the stuff that, you know, were the concerns when he was drafted, like, ah, his, you know, his swing doesn't really have any lift and stuff like that. Even if that stuff never happened, you always had the, the defensive part of it to fall back on. And, you know, at the very least he was going to be like a useful role player. And then you talk to people from last year and, um, 
you know, he just regressed on that end in, with, with what scouts were talking about, like having watched him play defense. And so if that rebounds to what it has historically been for him, uh, then, then yeah, like he's a viable defensive center fielder feels fine as like a fourth outfielder, uh, maybe more like a fifth outfielder in today's game, because often like your fourth outfielder is just part of a platoon. Like Manny Margot isn't really a fourth outfielder, but he gets like a fourth out. You know, he basically is when he really ordered the raised depth chart, but like he's playing more than just a fourth outfielder. Um, and so like that could be the type of player that Travis Swaggerty is if his defense returns. Um, and so that's the thing to, to watch, but I've always been a, a huge Swaggerty fan, um, was, was a big time Swaggerty proponent before the, you know, he, he was drafted, uh, hoping that, that, you know, the swing change I mentioned would, would come and, and really didn't. And he's just sort of plateaued and fallen away a little bit here. Um, enough that even though like my personal tastes historically would be to 45, a player like this. Uh, the the sentiment around baseball was that he probably belongs more in that like 40 tier where I had him. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, fingers crossed um, that he can go get it and center again and, and be a cog for the big league team. I've always been a swaggy T guy. And before the injury, he made a slight swing change that I really, really liked. And then he got hurt and kind of shit at the fan. But- yeah. The injury stuff sucks for him too. It's been, Pretty, pretty. It was like the second game he like ripped his shoulder up. But at this point, maybe it's because I'm an Ohio State Buckeye fan. But I love me some Kanan Smith and Jigba. Tell me why I should love him. I just love the approach, dude. Yeah, I get it. It's hard. Again, it's really hard to find a a role for a guy like this. I think he's going to be great in Korea or Japan. Um, That was the meanest thing you've ever said. (laughs) I know, right? It's not meant to be like, you know, think about the guys who go over there. And anyway, I'm I'm going to baseball America for my news now. That's fine. (laughs) I, I, I forget that that's how people tend to decide where they go for whatever, you know, whether it's baseball or other news, it's just like, who agrees with me? Um, so, so yeah, Kane Smith and Jigba, obviously you're right. His feel for the zone is fantastic. Um, and he's, he's Kane, he's a, he's a Smith and Jigba, right? of the Jackson Smith and Jigbas. <laughs> and so there's uncommon athleticism there. Uh, there's also above average to plus raw power there. The, the swing has never produced in-game power. Yeah. When you're a left field only guy defensively, there's got to be power there. Unless you're like Brett Gardner or Quan or something like that. And, you know, I like Kane Smith and Jigba, but he's not those guys. Um, and so, you know, even like Vogelbach type guys who don't really have a position at all, Rowdy Telez, uh, they got to have that power to play the role that they play as that low end first base DH type guy, you know, Garrett Cooper, uh, Justin Bohr, these guys who are corner only towards the bottom of the defensive spectrum. Uh, they have that little three year peak where they're really good. And overall, you know, when you're looking at them against all the first basemen across baseball, like they're in that bottom third of, you know, your, your everyday first base type guys, which is a 40. Um, and so, you know, that's where I think Kanan Smith and Jigba is at. I think it's a super duper crowded field of guys like this, like Ryan Velotti, who also doesn't have power, but has other interesting, you know, bat to ball skill uh, more than the approach piece, which is really driving Smith and Jigba's uh, prospect bus. Um, and you know, and Duhar and like guys like this, who they, you just said two guys that stink really badly, you know, but these are like, <laughs> but the approach is to take a buy low opportunity on, on those guys, yeah. right? Like falling off of another roster. Let's try it. Uh, can we fix something here? Can we tweak something here? Uh, I kind of get it, but, um, but with Kane Smith and Jigba, yeah, he's fine. Uh, he's like at the very low end of the types of guys who, occupy that fourth and fifth outfield role for a contending team. And some of the, some contending teams don't behave that way at all. Like the Padres don't have the Padres don't pl- platoon anybody. They're just trying to make a team of like all stars. They get a $5,000 million payroll. Right. That but like it's, but you, but ideally you want to like compete, right? So you have to do the raise thing where you're pairing dudes together and like Voltroning together 
a four win player out of like two guys who you're just putting in position to succeed, uh, like with one another all the time. I guess like the Dodgers have done this too, where like Chris Taylor's moving around, right? Muncie Taylor, Jock Peterson, they're all kind of moving around platooning kind of with one another and Taylor's versatility really facilitated that. Um, and so like maybe Kanan Smith and Jigba has a bit role to play in something like that. But quite often when you're an outfield corner guy, there's just gotta be power that has to be uh, because there are just enough guys floating around who have power. Like Adam Duvall is old, but he still has a ton of power and that guy tends to get a job, you know, in the sort of role that you could hope Kanan Smith and Jigba might play. Well, maybe Kanan Smith, I'm going to go back to another former pirate. Like maybe he can piece together a Jordan Luplo type of career. Sure, That's interesting. Yeah. You know, Luplo, uh, also a guy who like, if you told me he's going to be Jordan Luplo, like it probably 40 plus that guy uh, it's in a 40 role as like the shorter end of a corner platoon, but he destroys left-handed pitching, like with an uncommon level of power. So I want to accelerate where I've got a guy like that a little bit higher, but, but yeah, like I could see how you're arriving at that. I just want to point out, he called Jim old. He is. You're old to me. What what did I do? Well, if Duvall's old then you're old by association. Oh, and I, yeah, I am too. I went to class with him. I did. I went to school with with Duvall. Nice. (laughs) Um, quick question here, um, yes. and I ask this just because I think this is what everyone on a lot of people's minds. Because when the Pirates tank for so many years, they have right now, you expect the farm to at least be good in the top tier. And I think what a lot of these rankings this year with you guys and a lot of others have kind of shown that maybe they're not as good as people hoped for. So maybe just like, what is your overall feeling on the farm system compared to the rest of the league? Uh, the way we do the farm system stuff at Fangraphs is. Uh, like I don't have like uh, my gut checklist of farm system rankings. Craig Edwards, who now works for the players union, uh, when he wrote at our site, he did like prospect values, basically like uh, based on where a guy is ranked about how much, you know, war value is there later on. And so it is my, obviously my evaluations are subjective but the way the farm system rankings are generated from all of my evaluations of, of the players is more objective where it's just taking my evaluation and associates a value with that evaluation. And then the entirety of the farm system is added together. And so at the end of last year, and you know, some guys have pulled off graduates who, you know, Oh, Gabriel Moreno graduated in this and that, like there are definitely things that impact this. Uh, I had the Pirates third at the end of 2022 after Baltimore and Cleveland. The way Craig's math worked out, his math likes top-heavy farm systems. So the fact that the Pirates still have three guys who are in that 55 tier, you know, in the top 40 or so guys who I have evaluated in the minor leagues, they're still going to be high in the farm system rankings uh, because of the way Craig's math tends to work. Um I could I think that sometimes our expectations and whether or not they are met can have an influence on how we're evaluating the outcome. And I think that that's happening here and I know that I'm like preachy old man on his porch but like I think the internet inflames that dynamic especially like on Twitter where you're just like why you know Brian Reynolds is going to get traded and like why isn't, you know, Jared Triolo up or whatever it is? And so stuff like that happens. And it feels like ah, Henry Davis didn't just go right to the big leagues and be awesome. He had a developmental hurdle, which is just what happens to a lot of these guys. And when like, oh, Nick Gonzalez is what? Like the Fangraphs guy thinks he's what? You know, like that stuff is, it is relative to your expectation. Uh, and so it feels not great. Uh, and I think our tendency is to fixate on some of that stuff, but I still see like a really healthy farm system. Uh, some of the developmental stuff I would like to see be better because this isn't an org that like, you know, cranks out the random, like the Yankees do where it's like, Hey, this ninth rounder from Dallas Baptist is a dude. Now the pirates don't really do that. Sometimes it happens, you know, like I like Colin Selby a lot and some of these guys, 
but you know, it, it hasn't been a thing that's really happened from the guts of the system. I'm really or, glad you said Yankees and not Cardinals. Right. Yeah. They're another one. Right. Um, but, um, but like the Yankees and like the Dodgers and stuff, you see the thing happen. Like Will Warren in the Yankee system has a breaking ball that the Yankees gave him, you know, the Yankees saw clay Holmes and yeah, his thanks. data and his, you know, we whatever <laughs> we really did. Right. But like, I'm sure the, but before the Yankees got clay Holmes that they knew they were going to do to his sinker, what they did to his sinker. And it happened immediately. So yeah, <laughs> the Pirates don't seem to be as in touch with some of that stuff. Uh, and so sometimes when you're, you're seeing that pattern uh, throughout the system, things do feel like they might like they're kind of tenuous and as though this depth has been created and the farm system quality has been more created through like the fire sale and the fact that they're drafting high rather than like a truly sustainable thing, which I do think requires that, that player dev component. Uh, and so that is one thing that, you know, does bother me about what's, what's happening, but in general, I think the system is good. Uh, there's going to be attrition, like guys just bust. So like Lonnie white, the fact that he's been hurt, that's not a great sign. And like, that's a guy who was a two sport athlete who, you know, needs reps and he's not getting them. And so like, Stuff like that just happens and it's not anybody's fault. Um, but, you know, the amount of pitching in the system, I think what they've been able to do with Burroughs, who if he can stay healthy is a top 100 type of guy uh, and just gives you those three young arms who are just about ready uh, to make an impact. And, you know, bit players like Bay and Triolo and some of the guys who we've talked about that, um, that things do feel pretty good, uh, especially in your guys' division, which I think – is pretty open over, you know, other, the Cardinals are obviously legit, uh, but some of those pieces are old and those are, those are really important pieces for them. Uh, and if some of those guys go belly up, which tends to happen, like look at Anthony Rendon, um, you know, sometimes stuff like that happens and you're, you're up shit's Creek. And, and so I think the division is, is pretty open and uh, that over the next couple of years, Hopefully some of these guys will continue to establish themselves, uh, especially Andy and, and Cruz and, and Hayes, you know, ideally Hayes would start hitting for more power. I don't know. What do you guys, what feels like a good return for Reynolds? Like what is the internet? What does the internet want for Brian Reynolds? Everything. An extension. Um, yeah. I think for the most part, <laughs> we don't want to trade him. Um, but if he is traded, it's, it's, there's gotta be top, talent coming back they have to yeah. yeah i mean yeah i wonder what some of that would look like like well like, been, like, yeah i mean looking at the times. teams who are like, i think it's a, like it. it's at least a top 20 prospect plus another maybe like top 100 fringish type of guy like you mm. want i really I, I just think miami has the pieces that could so like, oh, yeah. also, I, you also need them closer yeah. to the major leagues it it's just not a good fit for anybody right now i think yeah, it makes miami does make sense for miami yeah. but they've got to be willing to part with my really boy talent <laughs> yeah I, mean, I don't know if they are so i would i would twist their arm until you know people's job security down there you know, once that becomes threatened, then I'd be like, yeah, you're going to trade him to me. <laughs> I would just, cause I know what you're talking about without you even saying it. And you're yeah. right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would absolutely I, just be like, uh, uh-uh, honey. And I think that's kind of what Ben Sherrington is holding out for. Like he's waiting for, he's waiting for somebody to panic. Yes. And needing to win right now and offering up something like that in return. Yeah, Miami's I mean, smart. Like they know they have other alternatives. And I think Ramon Laureano is they've been in the market for him the last, you know, all of course, a bunch with a bunch of these teams, especially with Oakland and you guys, like, some of these discussions have been ongoing for a while. Uh, and so I think that, you know, Kim Ang will be patient too. Like she knows what she's doing, but uh, you know, and she knows what she has at the top of her farm system and is going to be loath to part with that guy. But they have so much pitching that if, you know, if she thinks, that Edward Cabrera might break or, you know, 
if you guys still like Sixto Sanchez for whatever reason or whatever it is, then yeah, a package around some of that surplus pitching that they have would maybe feel okay. But I'm with you guys where I just think he's a dude. Just keep him around. The same way shortstops are hard to find, and it's why like Sergio Alcantara gets traded for something every year, uh, like because you just sometimes you got to have a guy who can actually play shortstop. It's true in center field too. Like people have traded for Bradley Zimmer a bunch of times over the last couple of years, and That's you know true. the Blue the Blue Jays just mm-hmm. desperately needed a center. Like you know, so um, I think as I was working on like um, some of these positional baselines for like the data that we got after this, the minor league season to compare the metrics that we had for the minor leaguers to like what big leaguers were doing in each of the, those individual metrics. Um, I was averaging uh, segments of the player population. So like everyone who played shortstop during the year and the average of like the top 30 shortstops, because if I'm like trying to gauge if a guy is going to be a big league regular that seemed like the group to to cluster together. It's like the top 30 guys and what are they doing on average? Um, and finding enough center fielders for a thing like that is hard because there are only like 45 guys who can actually play out there enough that they had like sufficient plate appearances for me to consider the data meaningful. Um, and so, yeah, like the fact that Brian Reynolds, man, like you stole him from the Giants, like keep him. It's a, it's a big dub, nutting. Um but, um, but yeah, like it's a tough situation to be in. It's not an enviable situation for, you know, the Pirates front office to be in, to have the budgetary constraints that they do, uh, especially when there are teams like the Mets and the Dodgers who reach into the couch cushion to give Blake Trinan 15 million bucks or whatever as like an injured flyer that they teach uh, an elite breaking ball to. Like that's just not a thing that the Pirates can decide to do. And the Dodgers take a chance on a guy like that every year where they're just like, yeah, this guy was basically non-tendered, but let's give him 12 million bucks because we think we can do what we did with Blake Trinan and then what we tried to do with Corey Knable and then what we did with Evan Phillips. Like that's a separator that again, like the investment in technology and uh, like catching up on um, a, like uh, a, a data warehousing and infrastructure from, from that perspective, like the pirates had to do all of that when, when Charrington was hired and it takes time just to build that technological infrastructure, let alone start to implement it in the draft room and on the backfields with your dev group and like get the people who understand those things into your organization. And it's so hard. Uh, but yeah, I do think that things are, things are looking up. I hope um, probably not this year, but I think the pieces you've started to see them trickle in and arrive, uh, you know, the pieces of the next good pirates team. I do think Brian Hayes and Brian Reynolds and, and O'Neill Cruz are absolutely going to be a big, big part of that. Um, and so will some of the guys at the top of the system. All right, Eric, we'll end it on a, I don't even know if you have this answer yet, but we're looking at the pirates as a number one overall draft pick this year. Who do we got there? Is it Dylan Cruz? Jason yeah. Dollinger? Yeah, I've got um, – I saw Dollander a couple of weeks ago. He was fine. He's the type of guy who – it's not like he's Strasburg or anything like that, but he's pretty consistent with the, the, the best college uh, pitcher in a draft. He'll probably go somewhere in like the top five or seven. Um, I have Dylan Cruz one. Folks can go to the fan graphs and, and hover over prospects and click on the board and then click on MLB draft, and you'll see where the draft list is at um, – I updated it right before the college season started. And yeah, Cruz, Cruz has basically been really, really good the whole time. Like high school sophomore Dylan Cruz was exciting and he's basically been great his whole life. Uh, There's a little bit of swing and miss there. Sure. But there's just so much power. He's got a good chance to stay in center field. I think that fatigue from him, be wary of that. Like he's been at the top of this group. Um, for, for years and years. Uh, when he didn't sign coming out of high school, he was the best unsigned high school guy. And so, you know, he's just been tracking as the best guy in this group for a long time. And I think that, you know, I'm certainly guilty of this at times, have a tendency to get fatigued of guys like this. Um, and so, like, there's Wyatt Langford and ooh, uh, but 
I just think that Cruz has been so good for so long and so consistently so that that's my guy. And I think he's pretty special. Uh, an amateur scout who's an area guy um, with the team in your division uh, sent me his scouting report on Dylan Cruz the other day. And wow, like he's got <laughs> sevens and eights all up and down that, that scouting card. I don't think things are quite that big. He told me he thought as soon as Dylan Cruz is drafted, that he would be a top, that he should be a top five prospect in, uh, in baseball. So I think, you know, folks should watch LSU in general because a bunch of those got, there's just so much fun. Um, and they have a bunch of those guys who are probably going to be in the mix uh, for teams in the top 10. And, you know, I think it's Dylan Cruz uh, number one with a bullet, but uh, if, you know, if we start picking nits, which you have to at the very top of the draft uh, and there's, you know, I have, you know, the data from, his career doesn't send up any red flags to me immediately. But if you start to go, ah, actually there's this thing that actually, you know, just pulls him down into that group with like Langford and Max Clark and stuff. Um, then maybe you, you do what they've done in, you know, with Henry Davis basically and like cut a deal at one. But uh, at some point, don't you just want a guy who might be like a superstar rather than a guy who's just fine and a bunch of other lottery tickets. So, so basically you're saying just don't get cute. Don't get too cute with it. I, I think that there's a, a guy in a tier on his own in this year's class. And that, uh, you know, sometimes it's just hitting you over the head. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big Dylan Cruz guy. I think it's a pretty deep draft. I'm excited about it. And how, do you guys have any comp picks too? Do you guys have like a bunch of comp picks that? We actually, I think this year we do not. I think we are comp picks on the set in the second round. Okay. I think. I could be it's a good there. draft to have like three picks in that top yeah. 45 or 50. I feel like there's so, so many fun high school guys. Then the Pirates um, won it. <laughs> all right. So they've got, yeah, comp B. So it's um, one, 42, and 67. That's okay. Some of those teams operating in front of you guys in the second round are going to make things interesting, though, because Seattle has two comp picks, so they can go buck wild and get really creative. That 29th overall pick is from Julio winning rookie of the year. That's freaking cool. <laughs> yeah. Julio is yeah. worth everything that, that he was on cool. the field and, tw- and a first round pick. Yeah. Imagine giving your player that opportunity. Taylor Lake. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. So uh, Cruz it is. I'm down with it. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the guys I have up in that mix are also like Braden Taylor from TCU, who just, you know, he's the more generic, like safe guy. Um, Lefty stick, third base, although looked pretty rough at third last weekend from what I was watching. Um, Wyatt Langford at Florida. This is, you know, bodybuilder type guy with huge power and he can really run fast in a straight line, but he's not a good defensive player. His feel for the outfield is not good. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. And then Max Clark, the high school outfielder in uh, Indiana, who is like, you know, what Corbin Carroll was in high school is sort of how Max Clark looks where you're like, yeah, this is, you know, this guy's really skilled and he really smacks the crap out of it, but it's all ground balls and line drives and he really runs. It's sort of like an old school leadoff hitter. Uh, and then Corbin Carroll like got in the gym and, uh, you know, now he's going to hit 30 bombs. And so maybe Max Clark is the other guy where there's enough ceiling. You know, the other one, the name is, is Arjun Namala uh, from Florida, a high school shortstop. Maybe that guy really explodes. That's the, that's the dark horse name at this stage where just, you know, the fact that he's going to be shy of 18 on draft day, how much power there is already for a guy, his size at his age. Um, yeah, that's a name that Pirates fans should look up. Arjun Namala. Uh, do some background on that. I, I mean, there's a scouting report on the site, but I'm sure there's been other stuff written about this kid. I think he's like of you know Indian descent, and I think he's got like cricket in his family and sorts all sorts of other like baseball-y adjacent stuff that is pretty cool. Um, and I'm really interested in, in him as well. He's the one guy as I'm looking down the list who, if you're like who's who's going to be uh, Jackson Holiday, and like take BP in front of scouts in the spring and look like he's added, you know, a full grade and a half of power while staying at shortstop. That's the, that's the other guy. Cool. Well, 
I think that wraps this up. Honestly, a lot of great information. And as much as, you know, we talked about how the Pirates fans hate you for this list, I think, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of <laughs> optimism as well with the things you said. So um, it was nice hearing you talk it through, hearing us, but again, hearing other things come out. It's okay that maybe Nikki G might not make it, but, you know, you heard about the other Santos, and that's got to make you excited too. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, my goal is definitely not to like, anger the internet with my <laughs> prospect analysis <laughs> but i understand the frustration and you got to take it out on somebody so it's going to be me and like tony d'angelo and claude Giroux and those guys hey, that's fine hey man bob nutting's not on the internet so what are we gonna do <laughs> yeah what do you do about that that would be i don't know <laughs> yeah what is maybe I maybe mean... Maybe we should talk about, was, talk about that. <laughs> what if Nutting was like online as much as Cohen? That would. What be, are we gonna do about the billionaire? That would be interesting. It would be kind of interesting, I guess. Is Cohen really super duper online still? Oh, not like was. super duper. I don't think anymore. Okay. But yeah, he does. I mean, he's the most vocal owner. Yeah, I would think. He's, he's, he's Middleton's Middleton's kind of vocal too. He's he talks every now and then. Yeah, you know, they were talking about that on their uh, the spring broadcast the other day, the Philly yeah. spring broadcast, that he's like shagging balls in the outfield with guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> that's interesting. I nobody, definitely don't see Bob doing that. Nobody yeah. run o- you know, over your owner, blow your, <laughs> blow your Achilles and like plow your owner into the ground. Yeah, no. Your owner. What a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. Thanks, boys. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, no, for sure. Thanks for coming. We will have those thank you cards. We'll have them mail to us in two years, and then we'll send them all to you saying thank you, and we apologize for all the bad words they said. Yes. Yeah, apologize. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Once again, Eric, Fangraphs, thanks for coming on. Everyone else, thanks for watching. We'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. See you guys. Good night, guys. (laughs) 